Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. To finish that point from the last hour, talking about this uh, mass of somewhere between two and five or six thousand people coming up uh, to the American southern border from Honduras. You know, the thing is, it's just like so many other issues that gets manipulated by emotionalism by the American left and is pitched in terms of. Do you care about people and therefore you must agree with our answer, let them all in, give them all asylum? Or are you a mean, horrible, terrible person who would reject them because you're a mean, horrible, terrible person versus the notion that, first of all, the asylum laws in every country, including America, they involve the idea that if you are, they, you are truly fleeing persecution— you must seek asylum in the first country that you get to. You escape your own country the first country you get to. So some of these people have a sought asylum in Mexico. Uh, Mexico has a very, uh, very difficult and challenging asylum process. Some people have been given permits to stay for 45 days while being processed. Some are under, the, under their system of being assessed uh, for asylum. And some of them were rejected. But the point is, asylum is not there in law in any country, including America, to simply say, because you made it here, come on in, you get to be a citizen. This is how the American left tries to portray it. And Honduras has been has had struggled with poverty for a long time, and America sends a lot of aid. And the notion, I mean, what, what would happen to a country, any country, if everyone just leaves? What about the idea of staying there and trying to fix your country, trying to fix your government? There is not a reason Honduras has to be so desperately poor. But anyway, I digress. I think this is just a test of... The uh, willpower of the conservative side, President Trump has said he's going to send down troops. He will view this as an invasion and send U.S. military troops down there if if the the people um, actually show up at our border. He so far, Trump has commended the uh, Mexican president for stopping the people, saying you just can't come through here. But there is really a need to just recognize this is perpetual intentional chaos created by people who hate the idea of America, hate the idea of borders, hate the idea that any country should, such as America, get to claim we have a unique national identity and we're not just, we don't let just anyone wander in. This is part of what Trump has really accomplished as a president, begun to reassert the value and the greatness, uniqueness of America and the notion that to be a country you have to have borders. And there is, by the way, a tape that was attached to to a tweet by Representative Gates, a member of Congress from Florida, that showed money being handed out to some of these migrant, uh, some of these uh, the people in the caravan. So um, it's not really the case that um, there is some money being paid to them by somebody. um, And and at the end of the day, it's going to be Soros or someone leftist like him trying to inspire these people to invade our border, to embarrass the president, to put him on the spot. So I hope President Trump stands strong. You know, we, we just can't have everyone in the country, in the world, who like to come here because they're poor. That can't be our foreign policy. Just sure, you make it here. Come on in. We have to have a more orderly system. And I think, I think the American people are behind Trump on this, even though I think the left is they're thinking this is going to be a wedge issue. I hope it isn't. Okay. So I want to just my cruise to the news. I want to hit some quick stories. CNN got caught in a big fat lie. And, I, and, and not that this is shocking news to anyone listen to this show, but... A CNN anchor named Anna Cabrera ran a segment in which she 
talked, she brought in a an African-American, a black man, as the, uh, the guest to the go back and forth with her guy. Anna Cabrera claimed that both President Trump as well as Donald Trump Jr. had what he what they had said was that given the Kavanaugh hearing, the, the willingness of so many to just believe the allegation of somebody and believe the woman and Kavanaugh never had a chance to defend himself and their their eyes. So Trump, father and son, both had tweeted something to the effect of it's a really hard time to be a guy in America. That was what they said. Hard time to be a man. What Anna Cabrera did was was lied, pretended that what Trump had said was it's a hard time to be a white man, completely injected racism. Talk about who's the tribalist in this country and then brought on a black uh, expert to talk about how horrible and terrible. And that was just really, really awful uh, thing to do. Completely fabricated. Just plain old fabricated. Uh, next thing I wanted to mention to you, if you're listening to this show, I just love uh, one uh, a new kind of force in Dallas. Uh, we have a friend named Kevin Freeman. He founded the Economic War Room. He's a brilliant guy. A, a, he's um, just a very accomplished guy. I can't spend a long time today talking about his resume. He's been on the show before. But check out, he's got a new CRTV show Check out economicwarroom.com. You can get a free trial to see his new show. It's basically basically exposing the threat America faces from economic attack, uh, economic terror attack. Um, Also, just want a quick run by a story. The Minnesota, a Minnesota Democrat official, uh, they have strange political parties up there, a Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party, it's a Democrat, was suspended after he put out on his Facebook page for his anti, on his anti-GOP guidelines, bring them, he talked about the day after the elections when he thinks the Democrats will rule the House again, that, we, he need, that people need to bring the GOP to the guillotines. That would be the thing that chops your head off. Yeah, that guy. He did get suspended at least. At least that much. He got in that much trouble. Nikki Haley uh, demanded that the United Nations punish that UN. The America put on a quick program at the UN to basically feature the plight of Cuban political prisoners. And be- when they tried to present their stories, Cuba and Bolivia had a meltdown, disrupted the whole thing. Nikki Haley complained. We're up on our break. I'm Debbie Georgias. This is America Can We Talk. Come back after the break to hear Claire Lopez. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. 
Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. As I mentioned before the break, we have a guest joining us this segment. This is Claire Lopez, and lucky for me, she's been on this show many times. She is the vice president, one of the vice presidents for research and analysis at the Center for Security Policy, but she was also a career operations officer with the CIA. She is uh, a professor of the Center for Counterintelligence and Security Studies. Uh, she's just been a whole host of positions uh, in this country in the serious, serious national security realm. And I want to talk to her tonight to talk with her about her views on this uh, disappearance, apparent murder of Jamal Khashoggi um, in in, um, in Turkey. So I believe we have her online. Hi, Claire. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me. I love having you. I, I always tell you, 
when you're on, I'm taking notes because you're just so full of information. I love it. But um, I want to jump in. This is one of the biggest stories, uh, obviously, of the week. And this Jamal Khashoggi, who has a was an occasional columnist at the Washington Post, and he went into the Turkish embassy or the Saudi Arabia embassy in Turkey and uh, never came out again. And so um, there's, there's all sorts of speculation about what happened to him. Different stories have been floated. So I just want to ask you, what is the latest? What do we believe happened and who we believe is responsible? Well, we now have uh, an official statement from uh, the Saudi Arabians themselves uh, who have admitted uh, that Jamal Khashoggi, who was a Saudi citizen but also a U.S. permanent legal resident, which means he had U.S. person status, uh, that uh, the Saudis have admitted now that he, he went into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, the 2nd of October. That's uh, more than, uh, uh, what, more than a week ago now, um, actually two weeks ago now. And uh, he was going to find some paperwork that he needed to finalize his divorce earlier and allow him to remarry uh, his Turkish fiancé, who was waiting outside the building for him, uh, but of course he never uh, reemerged. And uh, but the Saudis have now admitted—I mean, a, a, a admittedly concocted story—that uh, there was some sort of fist fight uh, in there, and uh, he uh, wound up dead by accident. No, uh, he was assassinated. Um, a 15-member hit squad that has been identified, uh, at least by some of their names. Saudis came on an official Saudi chartered airplane uh, on that Friday, the 2nd of October. Uh, they are, are on camera going into the consulate. Uh, they have then departed after Khashoggi's disappearance and went back on the same Saudi chartered plane back to Saudi Arabia. Um, the members of that so-called hit squad um, some of them have been identified. The New York Times, for one, has done some good investigation, turning up uh, and publishing photos of at least one member of that hit squad, uh, who was obviously part of the security detail that accompanied uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi crown prince, often known as MBS, on his uh, recent tour around the U.S. Uh, a couple of months ago. And others have been identified by the New York Times and others as part of the MBS security team. So uh, there seems very little uh, doubt that, uh, that uh, Jamal Khashoggi was um, murdered uh, inside that Saudi consulate in Istanbul. I'm glad to have you. you know, there have been so many stories floating around, and some of them quite grotesque in terms of describing the, the way in which he was murdered. But moving on from that, I want to think, talk a little bit about uh, foreign policy. What happens in America? We have identified in America, we, you know, we don't have a lot of friends in the Islamic world. Saudi Arabia has been considered among our main allies. Uh, it was a, uh, you know, President Trump has, has reached out to them. And actually, this MBS Saudi Crown Prince gentleman uh, has been trying to modernize uh, Saudi Arabia. Still has Wahhabi Islam. It's you know very a very extreme form of Islam. He's been trying to moderate, modernize, moderate. Uh, so they've been kind of our friend. So what is what is the next step America should take? In, in in given that Saudis are our friends, but this is a horrific thing. Well, I I would never call the Saudis our friends. Um, <laughs> we have a certain relationship and a partnership with them. Um, which I think is very important to preserve. Um, 
because they are, along with other members of the GCC, Gulf Cooperation Council, uh, Persian Gulf states, they are working with the United States and with Israel to counter uh, the aggressive geostrategic expansion uh, by Iran, the Iranian regime, and its terror proxies around the region. That's important to preserve. But that all said, I think the point that that really does need to be made is that Jamal Khashoggi, uh, albeit um, a uh, you know a, a former supporter of Osama bin Laden of Al Qaeda. Uh, uh, of the of the Muslim Brotherhood, specifically uh, the Muslim Brotherhood regime of President Recep Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey. All that aside and all true, uh, he was a U.S. person. And that status needs to be uh, defended if it's going to mean anything in the world. You don't go around offing a U.S. person with no consequences. So I really hope that the President Trump... Um, will stick to his uh, his word when he said that there must be severe punishment if and when the evidence shows that the Saudis are responsible for Khashoggi's um, murder, his death inside of that consulate. Um, and uh, that has to be very uh, public. It has to include an acknowledgement, and it should include an apology from the Saudis for what they've done to an American person. And then to your broader question, Debbie, I think you're exactly right in pointing out how our geostrategic uh, objectives in the region at the moment align, broadly speaking. Uh, and then we should, we should continue with that relationship. But there has to be consequence, has to be consequences. There has to be um, a holding to account of the Saudi government. Does this help in any way the argument in America that we need to – I mean, there's an endless push to try to get the Muslim Brotherhood designated as a terror organization. And I know that this – Khashoggi was supportive of it. Um, I don't know whether they're going to be proven to have any any possible involvement in this, but does this help that effort to get Muslim Brotherhood designated as a terrorist organization? Uh, no, I don't think so, because um, we know now uh, through their own admission that the Saudis are responsible for this murder – um, as you said earlier, the Saudis under MBS are undertaking a certain number of reforms inside of the kingdom, including economic reforms, but also some social ones. Uh, they have gone after the Brotherhood. They have gone after the Wahhabi clerical establishment. MBS has a bunch of them in jail. But it's not because they differ in any way on basic Islamic doctrine. Uh, they both are are. are exactly in alignment on on that. There's nothing extremist or radical about Wahhabis or the Brotherhood. It's straight up the middle, um, just absolutely normative Islam uh, that they all believe in. Um, But it's a power struggle inside the the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, as well as between the the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Turks, uh, which uh, who uh, are aligned in an axis, if you will, with Iran and Qatar in the Gulf. And so this is about power. This is not about Islam. Uh, The Brotherhood cannot and has not been designated to the FTO list, uh, foreign terrorist organizations list, uh, in the U.S., uh, primarily because it doesn't do terrorism. Uh, There has never been an act of terrorism carried out uh, on orders directed by the Muslim Brotherhood against the United States or Americans. Uh, what they do do, which is far worse in my own opinion, 
is subversion. It's way more yeah. deadly because we're not prepared to deal with it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I only have a minute here left, but one other thing I was reading uh, as this story has been unfolding about how much America actually supplies the Saudis with military equipment. I think the number was 100 million or something contracts we have pending with them. Is that something as a, as a way that's some way we can punish them is to pull back on some of our uh, supplying of military supplies with them? Or is that not wise? Well, it could be a way and I've heard it suggested, but the president himself uh, President Trump has ruled that out um, primarily because so many American jobs depend on those military sale, uh, sales to, to Saudi Arabia. But I think also, and, and this in my opinion too, because we need the Saudis to be well-armed to fend off uh, the nu- rapidly nuclearizing Iranian regime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is the reason that we are even in any kind of partnership right now with the Saudis, it's to counter Iran, which is rapidly going nuclear. Um, and so the arms sales are part of that uh, strategy. I think we need to keep that. There are other ways, though, to show um, consequences uh, from the United States to the Saudis for the murder of an American person. And that has to do, uh, for example, with a great big investment uh, conference being held uh, in Saudi Arabia later this week, uh, sometimes called Davos in the Desert, was the, the nickname for this. Many yeah. CEOs, yeah. companies, and even U.S. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin has pulled out of that conference. That will hurt the Saudis. That will make that will make a dent. Claire Lopez, I love talking with you. Thank you so much for calling in tonight. This is Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk. Come back after the break and Facebook Live four minutes. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. If you are listening to America Can We Talk, you know that my show is dedicated to preserving the exceptional idea that is America. I want to take a minute to tell you what I mean by that. Unlike almost every other country on the planet, America's culture, our very identity, has nothing at all to do with ethnicity, race, or national origin. Instead, America is all about ideas, including the most basic idea that each of us, simply because we were born has the God-given right to live out our individual version of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness within the guardrails of the Constitution and our laws. Preserving this requires patriots in every American generation to grasp the importance of this truth, to recognize and fight back against the subtle and not-so-subtle relentless attacks on American liberty, and to speak up for and defend the unique culture of American-style liberty. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. 
America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I love having Claire Lopez on. She's so well-informed, and uh, she never feels like she has to go along with whatever the headlines say. Um, you know, I wish I had more time to talk with her. I know she had some other interview coming up right after ours, um, because I do. I did want to ask more about... She was uh, talking about... Uh, Krish, uh, she was pronouncing his name correctly, too, I'm sure. I've been saying Kashagi, and she's saying Kasaji, but... But but she made the point that he's a U.S. person, and I wish I had had the time to say, you know, but isn't he, isn't he potentially, he was a huge Muslim Brotherhood supporter. He definitely embraces political Islam. By that term, I mean, is Ayan Hirsi Ali's term, political Islam, whereas you actually think you have the right to force and push Islam on uh, other countries, other people. So he was a, uh, you know, he's not with the reformers in Islam, in uh, Saudi Arabia. He's, he's more, he was more of a, uh, a hardliner. And um, he, the idea that he's in America, I think under a visa that he got under the Obama years. So he's a potential Muslim Brotherhood operative. He's in America. He's, he's a pretty radical Muslim. I, I guess, you know, I'm just not sure whether that designation or the ult, the, you know, ardent protection of him um, as a, um, I guess he's still really a Saudi, was a Saudi Arabian citizen, um, uh, was justified. But in any case, she's uh, extremely well informed. Always fun to have on. Love talking to her. Okay. I want to turn tonight to talk about the midterm elections. But, you know, it's really funny. I just was realizing driving out here that I feel like I've been saying, I don't know when I started saying it, probably, you know, 
um, in the summer sometime, the midterm elections are coming. And for so long, you think, oh, it's come on, it's months away. We can't live in elections all the time. But now they really are here in Texas, uh, where I'm doing this show from. our, Our early voting starts this coming Monday. Early voting has started in other states, and so they're really coming. I want to tell you some amazing, um, just some, I guess I want to characterize them as, I want to tell you something that I read about at length and share it with you. And just to get the idea of what's really at stake in these elections, I can run through, you know, issue after issue after issue. I love talking issues and policy and wonky stuff, but I want to talk to you about just the bigger mindset of the left-wing worldview and the right-wing worldview. And my springboard for this is an article that was written, um, and it's called, the article, and I'm going to lay out what this author is telling people about the amazing uh, progress that socialists and communists have made in invading the Democrat Party. What I used to say, I, I do a lot of social media and, and you know, network media stuff. And so I was on some show talking about um, making reference. I was during the, uh, I think it was the 2016 election cycle, talking about Hillary Clinton and how the Democrat Party has become so socialist and the, you know, other guy. So I'm obviously on the conservative side, Republican side. Some guys there for the Democrats. So he was saying... Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. The, the Democrats are not socialists. And, you know, Bernie Sanders is, you know, he's, he's out there. That's not who we are. Hillary is very mainstream American, blah, blah. Not true. But I, what I do want to get to was the very conscious, intentional effort by leftists, by extreme leftists in this country, socialists and communists, their plan to take over the Democrat Party. And I'm going to start with just who these organizations are. There is the CPUSA, Communist Party of the United States of America, the Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, FRSO, another group called Left Roots. And they had an event. The event, this event occurred shortly after um, the um, 2016 elections. And the event was called left inside slash outside project. The idea was to build power inside and outside the Democrat Party. This began shortly after the 2016 election and as a response to the election of the presidency of Donald Trump. But there was a letter, a letter published by this left inside outside project, a letter titled The Left We Want to Build, Breaking Out of the Margins. And so the letter was published on that FRSO, Freedom Road Socialist Organization, Align website, uh, which is called Organizing Upgrade. The letter was published about this effort to organize the, the determination of the socialists, the communists, and all these various radical leftist groups to more, to, to more embed themselves in the, in the um, Democrat Party. The letter was published on June 9th. It laid out their plan by um, the plan to get the the Democrat Party to be completely under the control of the socialists. And it was a plan that was, um, they, they want to expand their collective influence inside and outside the Democrat Party. It went on to explain how they would do that. And then... They talked about an, a, a, a determination to build a left trend, an alignment of organizations and individuals based on strategic unity. And they also talked about their, they want to build a mass protest effort, offer a chance to make 
the left a force in, U- in U.S. politics and eventually a contender for power. They call for better coordination among Americans, lar- America's largest Marxist organizations, increased infiltration of the Democrat Party, further pressure the Democrat Party from outside the party through mass protests. So they have the fight against the, the right is strongest when it's emerged, energized by an inspiring vision, campaigns for openly socialist candidates and progressive challenges to neoliberal Democrats, people who aren't leftist enough for them, uh, must all be part of the political mix. So th- they had a massive meeting to talk about this, to talk about the total number of people they represented by these organizations is 57,000 socialists and communists in this country trying to take control of the Democrat Party. Talking about among the ways to do that is to encourage socialist candidates to run, to have mass protests in the streets, to have determinate just leftist demands. They talked about their freedom or their uh, their uh, freedom road socialist organization being they're very secretive about their membership numbers, but they're strong in Boston, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, the District of Columbia, uh, North Carolina, Tennessee. They claim to have smaller bases bases even in Texas, New Mexico, Missouri. So this is a massive organized effort. This is not two fruitcake socialist professors in some left University sitting around the faculty lounge, sipping tea and discussing how they'd like America to be socialist. These are on the ground activists in states all over this country, actual socialists. And there are obviously we have a Democrat. We have you know Bernie Sanders ran for president, and the Democrats were hunky dory with that. There was very little outrage expressed, even by establishment Democrats, the idea that a, an avowed socialist could be their candidate. They may have preferred Hillary, seen her as more electable, but they didn't have that gut. Are you kidding me? We are not socialist. And the reason really is, is because the Democrat Party is at its heart and soul socialist now. It's that the ideas of socialism do not offend most Democrats. When you say, for example, that the purpose of taxation is to punish people who have been successful, that you're not just taxing people to gather enough money in the federal government coffers to cover the national defense and other legitimate expenses and purposes of the federal government, but the purpose of taxation itself is to punish and and diminish success in this country. When you have Elizabeth Warren, one of their serious contenders for president, floating a bill we talked about at great length I think it was over the summer, I think August or so, floating a bill about limiting, about demanding how much money corporations had to spend. If they made a certain amount of profit, they were forced to spend it, either send it into the government or spend it on causes the government agrees with, capping how much money people can earn in the private sector. Folks, and even just the, the socialized, we've become so desensitized to this to this drumbeat of socialism that we don't condemn when we hear the Democrats in pretty much every Democrat in this country running for U.S. Congress is saying, yes, socialized medicine, let the, let the entire health care system be taken over by the federal government, make it like the Medicare system. The Democrats are already socialist. We need to call them that. 
We need to hold them responsible for the things they are trying to do to this country. So on that front, given how much we've seen in the radical left, their conduct in the Kavanaugh hearings, which I think hugely helped the Republicans, the Democrats' reaction to this Honduran uh, Im- uh, you know, invasion in the southern, the intended invasion of our southern border, I'm happy to report that it does near now appear almost certain, not as you never say certain before Election Day, but the Republicans are very likely to hold the U.S. Senate, even probably gain seats. And the, and the House, the U.S. House, I've been saying for months Republicans will hold the House, but now there's some data actually saying that. Um, this is not to say you, you can ignore voting. You have to vote. But just contrast these two things. In Texas, one of the huge battleground states, Senator Ted Cruz, our the, you know the leader of the conservatives in Washington, Senator Ted Cruz, there's a rally coming up in, um, in Houston where President Trump is coming down. They, they got they reserved a, a play a venue that holds 18,000 people and 78,000 people signed up. Contrast with Beto O'Rourke couldn't fill a dinky little theater in Fort Worth. I'm Debbie George Jazz, American Coming Talk. Come right back for one more fun segment. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. 
and Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this show. Could not do the show without GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Couldn't do without GC Works. Thank you so much. Okay. Do not take from my last segment where we had a good news about the energy behind the Ted Cruz campaign. Do not think for a moment that you can let up in your political activism between now and Election Day. Everybody gets to take a nap on November 7th. Everybody involved in all the races, wherever you're listening, it is vital, crucial, impossibly important to turn out in the election, to turn out everybody you know, to knock on your neighbor's doors, remind your mother, remind your cousins, remind your kids, get out and vote on this. This is a turnout battle election extraordinary. One uh, place that makes that point really, really well, and I want to talk about this segment. Um, so I had the great privilege and fun, basic fun, this past week of meeting Steve Bannon. You likely know that name. He was formerly, uh, briefly on the Trump campaign uh, officially. Um, then he was in the Trump White House for a while, then left the Trump White House. You know, he's a, he's a real movement thinker. He really, he, he was a, uh, a friend, a, a um, colleague of Andrew Breitbart. He's a true movement thinker about taking this country back to its roots of freedom and liberty and everything America is supposed to stand for. He's extraordinary. So he has a movie out, a film out called Trump at War. It's Trump with the at sign like they use on Twitter, Trump at War. If you're on, if you're uh, on my Facebook page, watching this show, you can scroll down. I actually put a link and you can watch the movie right on my Facebook page, the whole movie. Here's warning, my one and only warning that Trump protesters engage in foul language. And so when you listen to this, you'll hear some of that lovely language coming from their mouths. But 
His this movie, first of all, Trumpet War was made by Steve Bannon to just and he's going around to districts around the country where there is a uh, you know a, a vital race happening, a congressional race where we just the Republicans um, you know need to hold the seat where there's a big challenge you know where where we just need to to really be on the ground fighting to hold on to the uh, GOP majority in the House. So basically, what the movie does, it is so powerful and fun. It's, I, I think it's only not even 90 minutes, maybe 70 minutes. It's not, it's, I don't know how long, but like that, 70, 80 minutes. It races by. You can hardly believe when it's over. And it basically reminds everyone where we were in this country, where we were in terms of a whole host of issues when Donald Trump took over the presidency. It You actually, even though someone like myself, maybe you, you listen to Paul, you think about politics, you follow the news, you watch, you know exactly what's happening in this country. You may think, I don't need to see it. I'm telling you, see it. It will remind you how far we've come, how, how off track we were under the Obama era and how far we've come. It's an extraordinary movie. You can watch it right there on my Facebook page, America Can We Talk. It's also showing in Dallas. Um, If you're interested in a Dallas showing October 24th. This is a private showing. So email me at America. Can we talk at gmail.com? And I'll tell you about it if you email me, but um, it is just a, it's an extraordinary movie and full of energy and power. And you just, you, you just get reinvigorated. This is not at one point he made Steve Bannon made was, you know, this is not the time between now and election day to try to convert your liberal cousins, your, you know, left wingers, or, I mean, this is not converting people time. This is getting out people to vote who are, have been just tremendously helped by the changes in the American economy, the restoration of the free market system in America, the bringing jobs back. I mean, this is a, it's an, and the movie covers many issues, not just the economy, just many issues. Really well done. Love meeting Steve Bannon. Um, hope to sometime have him on the show. But in any case, uh, it was very, very good. Okay, I was going to hit a few last stories. Just again, you know, about the, the wackiness of the American left. One story that I had, a, a kind of more entertaining story I wanted to share with you. You know, I've often commented that I think it's amazing that people can be intelligent, skilled, educated, competent, and capable enough to rise to a high level in corporate organizations in this country and at the same time be so easily manipulated by the American left and especially some of the goofiness of the American left. I mean, it happens in all sorts of arenas, all sorts of things where mainstream America, hometown, mainstream America has common sense. They have, they reject political correctness. They reject the silliness of the American left and the endless politically correct criticism of everything. The American people get it. But these people at high level positions in corporations bend to left-wing silliness, and I think it's in part, I don't mean to mock necessarily the people on the board to make these decisions. As much as I do, I should be complimenting, actually, the fact that the American left has figured out how to manipulate the story and the narrative so people in positions of power can't figure out 
who's really, um, you know, what, what's really the thinking out there? What do the American people really think? They get the, the American left has been extremely successful in their Twitter mob world where they get on Twitter and they just melt down over some person they're upset with or some decision by a government agency or a private corporation or some event that occurs and they just explode on Twitter and, and then and the Twitter mob has hit and so many corporations respond. And that really is a shame. We need people a little more grounded and not so pushed around by the American left's agenda on countless issues in which they, their basic agenda is the equivalent of moral idiocy. This particular one is actually entertaining, though. So Kimberly Clark Corporation it makes Kleenex, you know, and other paper products. Kimberly Clark got pressured by the idiocy of American left silliness. They've had for 20 years, 30 years, something like that. Okay, since 1956, they've had a particular uh, kind of a Kleenex box called man size, like M-A-N size. It means large Kleenex. So they've had this since 1956, tissues aimed at men. And because some goofballs on Twitter or wherever began complaining that it didn't seem right to have a Kleenex that, um, you know, that was only for men, that they, that they, that was discrimination, that was insensitive, that was insulting. I mean, it's, it's, they act like you might be at the grocery store as a woman shopping and you pick up a, a package of man-sized Kleenex and when you go to check out, the clerk's going to say, I'm sorry, I think you're a woman. I don't think you can buy this. I mean, it's the most ridiculous, but these idiotic statements they get from complainers such as, um, uh, okay, I got to turn the one I really want because the funniest one. Um, Kimberly Clark, this is defending themselves from their critics, in no way suggests that being soft and strong is an exclusively masculine trait, nor do we believe that man-sized branding suggests or endorses gender equality. They're actually answering people about whether a size of a Kleenex is anything to do with gender equality. But these, this is the, the idiocy, the silliness of the anti-American left getting a Kleenex company to change its label because they claim many customers complained about the branding on social media, asking why women shouldn't be able to use the same tissues as men. For I mean, you're just about speechless, except to say, I'd rather have these goofballs who are this wound up about an idiotic issue like the name of a Kleenex brand. I guess I'd rather have them pinging and pestering Kimberly Clark than pestering uh, conservative politicians, although they probably pester them too. But I mean, honestly, talk about just the height of political correct, politically correct absurdity, absurdity beyond, just beyond belief. You're just kind of like, you can't even think of of words to answer. Okay, I'm going to wrap up tonight's show with a story about Clarence Thomas um, first of all, back to the Supreme Court nomination of Justice Kavanaugh and the moron who wrote the thing in New York Times or Washington Post, New York Times it was, who was saying that this, the choice of Kavanaugh was by the, the white people and the Republicans who want to perpetuate, you know, their white privilege. I mean, just so stupid, given that the Republicans are the ones that put Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, who is among the most stellar, consistent, steady conservatives just simply a, a, a noble man. I went and heard him speak. He spoke in Fort Worth earlier this year, 
only a few months ago. Just so, so, so good. I mean, just, you know, heartwarmingly good, uh, decent, moral, good, serious uh, serious thinker. And actually, he and his wife, as a really sweet aside, they treat the the scores of interns who have now worked for him over the years. They're like a big extended family. They actually, over the summer, got together with a bunch of the interns who about whom they feel like they're their, you know, their children, their grandchildren. It's, it's just so, and they're such a good man. Anyway, so Clarence Thomas, uh, his name is actually on a plaque in a Georgia college. The college is the Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD. One of the premier, if you want to be a clothes designer or something in that world, Savannah College of Art and Design is, is one of the premier schools to go to. So it's a Georgia college. Those people, SCAD, they call Savannah College of Art and Design SCAD, they got more than 1,000 signatures to rename the Clarence Thomas Center for Historical Preservation at the Savannah College of Art and Design. The building was actually previously an orphanage and a convent for missionary sisters. Thomas served as an altar boy there as a child, and the school named the restored building after him in 2010. So these would-be artists and clothes designers, and I don't know what else they do there, but, you know, the artsy subjects that they study there, over a 1,000 people actually signed a petition wanting Clarence Thomas's name removed from this his, this um, museum, this um, Clarence Thomas Historical Center, uh, Center for Historical Preservation. And this happened as a call to action after the Kavanaugh hearing, which, I, I mean, folks, I got to tell you, I will tell you that there are parents of students at SCAD and graduates of SCAD who are countering this, and they put a petition asking people to sign and say, come on, that's ridiculous. I mean, Clarence Thomas is is such a towering uh, intellectual figure in our country. And these, I I can't even think of a nice word for them, students at SCAD need to grow up. Okay, we're almost out of time, folks. I want to say I love talking with you every Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time. Please remember Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Central, tune in on Facebook to our, our weekly podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. And I tell you, I do this show out of great love for America. I hope that you love America, too, after you hear more I have to say. Come back next week. We are-